Hi there, and welcome back to the Fuse Show. I'm David Tran, your host of the show, and I'm also the co-founder of Xfusion.io. Today, I'm joined by Brad Hartman. Uh, Brad Hartman is the founder of BLC, which stands for Bottom Line Consulting. Over the past decade, Brad's provided sports medicine consulting for professional athletes and members of the following organizations. The U.S. Olympic Team, the PGA, the LPGA, the NHL, the MLB, the NFL, and NASL. He also specializes in helping companies lower their injury claims and the costs associated uh, with them by providing content that focuses on the following. Human kinetic durability, nutrition, ergonomics, and health psychology. Thanks for joining us on the show, Brad. Yeah. Hey, Dave. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, hope you're doing well today. Yeah. So that's a rather impressive list of clients. How did you get started, and how did you go from building your reputation to the point that you're working with people from the U.S. Olympics? That's uh, pretty impressive in my mind. Yeah. So I was doing my undergrad here in Southern Virginia at Avert University, and I came across one of our instructors who had a side company called Functional Movement Systems, and his name was Gray Cook, and he had a business partner, Lee Burton. And uh, one thing they came up with was the movement screen, and it really looked at human durability and, and kinetic movement to make sure that the body moves efficiently. So I started working with them, and uh, I studied physical education in my undergrad, later got my MBA. But while I was getting my MBA, I was working with them. And, uh, you know, they specialized in helping professional athletes and the general population as well, too. So um, working with them for, I think, about seven or eight years, uh, I really got, you know, great experience working with those individuals. And that's kind of how I built my career to this point. Um, and then, I, you know, and a couple of years ago, I just decided to go on my own and uh, try to build my own company that focused on health and safety and, and helping companies uh, lower the work and comp claims and making sure that their employees move a little bit better and pain-free throughout the day. So that's kind of uh, a quick history of how I came here and, and where I am and, and how I started BLC. How did you go about that process of thinking of working first for someone else and with someone else to want to start your own? Like what were some of the thoughts going through your head that made you want to be like, you know what, I want to be a leader of my own company. I want to start my own company. I want to do things my own way. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of the, the first step, right? Obviously is, why am I going to do this? What's the next step I'm going to take to kind of go out on my own and, and really learn from my own mistakes and, and grow? Um, you know, I really wanted to take that next step in my career and be responsible for my actions. And at the same time, there's no better enjoyment for me than to kind of be, quote unquote, my own boss. I like making my own decisions. And I feel most comfortable with not having to really answer to anyone else. Um, so having that career and like growing it myself and taking that next step in responsibility of my own career was something that I just really wanted to push myself and do. And, uh, you know, if, I feel very comfortable with the decision I made. I'm glad I did it, but I know a lot of people really struggle with making that first step. Um, and a lot of times it can be intimidating. You have a lot of questions going through your mind, a lot of planning to do. 
Um, but I tell you, once you make that step and you get that foot, first foot going, you're not looking back. And uh, that was really important to me is that like, if I knew it was going to be successful, that's great. If not, I can look back and say, Hey, I tried it. And, um, you know, it was something that I wanted to do and that I continue to do. How, how many years into working did that thought start to like plant its seed in your mind? I would say kind of the last two years, um, you know, I was in business operations and, and kind of helping with the business growing and whatnot, but it got to the point where I started to do kind of the same things day in and day out. And the monotony just kind of got to me and I wanted to go explore other opportunities. I wanted to go communicate to other companies and you know, I, I was just kind of getting a little bit stale where I was for two years. And, you know, I just really wanted to, like I said, go explore and, and just kind of see what's out there. And it's been more exciting than I can ever imagine. 10 years ago, do you think you could have predicted you are where you are today? Um, I would say that in that profession, yes. Um, but as far as you know, meeting and working with those clients, you know, I never really thought of that. And I was grateful for having that experience. But, um, you know, working with kind of the clients I'm at now, and, and more or less the, the general population. Um, could I have predicted that 10 years ago? No, not really. Um, am I glad it's happened? Yeah, for sure. Like it's, it's been a great experience. Mm -hmm. Were there, what were some of the roadblocks you feel like faced along the way that some that you think other people might need to consider if they want to pursue entrepreneurship as well? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that if you're going to um, start your own company or be an entrepreneur or leader, you know, obviously you're going to have to ask yourself the question, why? Why am I doing this? Is it for passion? Do I really enjoy it? Do I like helping others? Um, is there an opportunity, you know? Can I make some money off it? Those are just some things you got to think of before you start. But I think once you get started or, or kind of that first, before you take that first step, you really have to dig into the research. You have to understand your market. You have to know what's going out there. And uh, I'm just going to elaborate on my experience a little bit. So, you know, obviously working with uh, injury prevention, uh, making people little, move a little bit better and helping companies lower their workman comp claims. I didn't really know what was out there and I had a lot of speculation. So my first question to myself was, how many injuries are there in the US? Okay. And my thoughts were maybe there's like 25,000 to 50,000. And I had some other assumptions too, which I think a lot of people really do have those same assumptions. Well, injuries mostly happen to men, probably like 90% of the time. Uh, they probably happen towards the end of the week when you're fatigued and you're not thinking or the end of the workday um, because you're done your work and you're putting your tools back and you might want to go enjoy the weekend, right? So those were all assumptions I had. But once I started doing my research, I couldn't have been any more from the opposite. So... 
and I'll kind of go over some numbers here because this is what really spiked my interest because I knew that there was a problem out there. And that's kind of why I wanted to get into it, right? I knew there was a problem with workplace injuries and I wanted to solve it. So by understanding the numbers, I think the issue is more than what you would first expect. So the number of injuries in the U.S. is 2.8 million per year. And if you break that down, that's six injuries happening every minute. And that's just claimed injuries. I'm sure there's probably maybe 30% of that that doesn't get claimed or people just work through them because they don't want to miss the time. But 2.8 million is where it's at. Now, I focus on MSD, musculoskeletal disorder type injuries, right? So soft tissue injuries, joint pain, so on and so forth. There was 325,000 of those in 2019. So that's about one for every two minutes. So that's a lot more than what I was initially thinking, okay? And if you were to experience an MSD type injury, 122,000 of those 325,000, those people are missing more than 30 days of work. So direct Hmm. costs and indirect costs are through the roof, okay? And then I started digging in more to it um, and thinking, well, you know, it's probably mostly guys, like I said earlier. But really, women are getting injured just as much of men as men. So it's like a 60-40 split. And the number one profession out there for injuries is healthcare, which is kind hmm. of interesting, right? You would think. Yeah, I would have thought of that. Yeah. I would have assumed it was like sports. Yeah, or distribution, construction, yeah. service, whatever, right? So, um, and I'm telling you, the healthcare industry, like second place isn't even close. They have an astronomical amount of injuries, but you got to think about it. It's mostly nurses and they're moving patients, picking up equipment. So not only mentally do they have a hard workload of taking care of the clients, but physically they're doing a lot throughout the day as well too. Okay. So then I said, why, why do these injuries happen? Like what's, what's the deal behind them? Right. And based on the research, at 99%, the reason why it happens is because of overexertion. People are overexerting themselves to lift something up, move equipment, so on and so forth. So I think the content and education we provide can make people aware of their situation, understand how to pick things up a little bit better, but at the same time, take care of themselves and make sure they don't get into that overexertive state where they're going to potentially get injured, right? So that was another, like 99%, like that's just a huge number to chip away at, right? And then, so um, what they experienced, like sprains, strains, and just general pain was 90%. So just general soreness, um, there's a lot of injuries happening and what people are experiencing because of that. Um, And then the other thing I found out was that usually injuries happen early in the week, like on a Monday or Tuesday. So what that tells me is people come back from the weekend and their body's not used to the work. And it gives even more reason for them to do some sort of exercises to get their body ready for the day. Um, Because those injuries, a lot of them are happening within the first two to four hours of work. So people could avoid injuries 
by employees just implementing, you know, exercise programs. They don't have to be extremely hard, but the data is right there that most of these injuries happen early in the week, right in the morning. Um, and a lot of it happens because of overexertion and just general soreness. So, um, like I said, I couldn't have been any more further from the truth in my research. And I think, again, that's an important piece. If you're going to start a company, you kind of got to know what you're getting yourself into. And you might be a little bit surprised by the findings you come across. When did you start thinking to dive into those sorts of details? Was it like the first thought that you had or was it like further down your journey? Where, where in the process? Well, um, it was kind of right off the start, right? Because... I needed to know if there was an opportunity out there. Cause if there was only like 20,000 injuries and you have all these companies, um, you know, might not have been worth getting into, but I wanted to know, like I said, what was happening out there because I really didn't know. And I had those assumptions, which I feel like many other people had the same assumptions. Um, so, you know, was there an opportunity to, you know, solve the problem of workplace injuries? Yeah, of course. So I, I wanted to figure that out right off the start and knew and know what to get into. So I, I knew what I was getting into. And then I started writing my business plan. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you're telling me if I want to start a hospital, I should have a yoga room and mandate daily or weekly Monday yoga to prevent injuries. No, you should have BLC in there. <laughs> so what is the, what's the action item for these like companies for these, like, especially these healthcare? like, what is the, when, when a, a company works with an agency like yours, what is, what can they generally expect? Like, what are they looking to achieve and what can you help them do? Yeah. So I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, it's, it's not to go like, pedal to the metal, right? Like you have to just provide some education classes. So you go in there, or I go in there and you talk to these companies and say, Hey, here's some issues that are happening within the U S after meeting with upper management, here's some issues that you're seeing at your place. And it's just providing some simple content education, things about diet, things you can do during the weekends, um, just to kind of get that seed planted. And then when you, when it starts really rolling around and you get that buy-in, that trust from the employees, because that can be pretty tough to um, gain, then you start just doing some simple exercises and understanding what's going on. So they might have a mobility issue, they might have a stability issue, or a, a functional type pattern issue. And uh, again, these are just you know, a lot of times people say a stretching program, but I call it a movement prep program because there's more to uh, movement than just stretching the muscles, right? You got to have balance and you got to have coordination. So a lot of these exercises are pretty simple. So, you know, it, it kind of depends on the company a little bit and how fast they want to accelerate it. Um, hmm. But you know, it's the best way to do it is just kind of, like I said, plant that small seed give them some information, let them know you're here as a resource. And then as they get, you, you know, you get to gain their trust, then um, it can start rolling into uh, programs and exercises and, you know, it doesn't take up a whole lot of the company's time. And, 
what it provides to the employees to make them feel like they're moving a little bit better with less pain goes a long way, especially outside of the workplace. How do you find these companies to work with you when you're first getting started? Because at some point, I'm, I'm sure that BLC has a like, recognition now, but when you first started, no one knows what BLC is. How, how do you break ground with that? Uh, you know, I think one thing that I made the mistake of off the start was just sending emails. Um, and I was trying to really cast a broad net and see if companies would work with me like that. Um, you know, obviously with COVID, it's been a little bit tough with the recession and stuff. Companies don't want to spend money, but um, you really got to sell yourself. Um, you got to meet them face to face. That's what I feel like I've been mm -hmm. successful with. Um, just meeting with them, talking to them. Um, you know, obviously it's hard to give away something free when, when you're a business, but if you could just say, Hey, I'm going to do, let me just try a presentation, see how it goes. Um, worst cases, you know, you, your employees get some free content. So, um, for me, what has worked is just calling them meeting them in person saying, this is what I have to offer. Would this be something your company would be interested in? Um, hmm. And I feel like a lot of people now, maybe the, and the younger generation, it might be a little bit more difficult for them to do that. Um, you know, open up, talk, have that interaction, but it's just something that can go a, a very long way in developing those social skills, especially the soft skills. And uh, when you can do that and you work with the other employees, it just it's a, a better way to build that trust by using effective communication. So when you're trying to balance, like I imagine part of your role is balancing out the needs of the job as well as what it takes to be safe and to do things in a sustainable way. What about the people at like the cutting edge, like the elite performers, the athletes, like who want to always be pushing themselves to the absolute like peak of human ability at the same time, like being safe? Like, how do you, how do you work with such clients and how do you like juggle that space between? Yeah. Like that, that's kind of the, the one thing that's challenging, right? Because professional athletes, the one thing is their standard is so high and they expect a lot. It's inhuman to most people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, Olympians, they train four days or for, they have four years to train and every day they are so dedicated from diet, training, taking care of themselves. Um, their mindset is just so focused on winning that gold medal, right? It's really impressive, their dedication level. So you know, like I said, like you said, like compared to most people, their standards are really high. So when you work with them, um, your professionalism has to be that high as well too, right? Like they are there for straight business. And I feel like that worked really well with them. Um, hmm. obviously, you know, one thing we can do is, you know, that they're, they, they come to us because they have some issues, right? So they want to, um, Eliminate. Let me pause you there for a second. How they hear of you? Like, I think most Olympians are like introverted by nature and they probably have a relative, like, I don't know how big their networks are, but how, how do they hear about you? Like, how do you put yourself to be seen by them? 
Uh, well, I would say that's kind of more or less word of mouth, right? Like there is a type hmm. of network okay. of them. And, you know, if they have a good experience, they'll tell their friends. And then it just kind of spreads around. So, um, you know, it's not too many of them come would come across my website. It's more or less, hey, I'm sending you a friend. Uh, you know, can I share the number? I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. And then you just build that relationship. Does that, does it ever like surprise you, the clients that come knocking at your door sometimes? Uh, not really too much. Cause at the end of the day, hmm. you know, we both wake up and have coffee. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're really, it's, it's, it's not like, yeah, I mean, it's sometimes it's neat to hear their stories, but getting start, uh, starstruck, I mean, they're just normal everyday people. They watch dancing with the stars or American idol and movies and stuff like that. So, um, you know, obviously you work, but when you talk about shared, you, you, if you work with them, you do have to talk about interests and things outside of work because they're people too. Right. And they have, lives to live. Yeah. so it's interesting to hear how they live their lives as well outside of training. So for something more relatable to the typical human, um, who isn't a super athlete, what is some underrated or un lesser known ways that people can just conduct their lives such in a way that they would prevent injuries? Like, do you have common tips you would give to anyone regardless of who they are? Yeah. Like I think the biggest thing is one, one sleep. Sleep is pretty important to reset your body every day. I think that is one thing people just need to make sure they get somewhere between six and eight hours. If you don't, um, you can get burnout pretty quickly. Um, the other thing is too, like if you're interested in learning, especially more about yourself or the human body, just go out there and just try to educate yourself as much as possible so that when you do have an opportunity to like, say you come to our company, or, you know, someone else who's in the healthcare profession, um, you know, you, you have an understanding of maybe some issues you have going on, and then you're going to be utilizing your time the best to ask questions that you need answers to, right? So instead of some, come on, someone coming in saying, hey, you know, what should my macronutrients be? Should it be like 30% carb, 30% yeah, yeah. protein? Um, you know, it's just not the best use of your time. I, something might, you know, a better question would be, you know, I, I feel like I have rotator cuff injuries and I understand how the scapula works. My rib cage is a little tight and those muscles that wrap around and attach to the head of the humerus, um, come off the scapula, you know, um, kind of what are some things I could do to maybe lessen the pain around that area, <clears throat> you know? So just, having that interest in educating yourself about yourself physically, I think can go a long way along with the, the sleep too, you know? So earlier when I was uh, introducing to the show, I, I remember going through the fact that you mentioned nutrition and you also reference right now, like macronutrients as a, like something that people generally consider for their general health. How much does nutrition actually affect injury prevention from what you've experienced? Um, Nutrition goes a long way. So, um, you know, with our company, we do have what we call four areas of focus, right? Um, and I'll get back to the nutrition component, but 
we have health psychology, and that's the mental aspect, right? So thought processes. Then we have injury prevention and recovery. So making your body move uh, more efficiently, making it more durable. And if you do get injured, what are some best ways to uh, recoup from that injury to where you don't spend any downtime from it? So you're back to work a little bit quicker. Um, next is nutrition. Uh, so energy, you know, fueling your body. So those three are the main components that, you know, we all have mental health, energy or uh, mental, uh, physical and energy, right? So the last component would be our environment. And we label that as ergonomics, right? So you have to have a safe workplace environment. So again, those are our four main components and knowing nutrition is really important. Um, I think sometimes people can get too spun into it almost, right? It's very fad, right? Like keto, uh, low carb, low fat in the eighties and nineties. Um, intermittent fasting, every other form of fasting, right? <laughs> and people will read so much and then, you know, they'll do it for two weeks and chances are they'll probably fail. So my biggest thing is you know, just reset back to the basics, um, eat an appropriate level of carbs, fats, nutrient or, and, uh, proteins. And as you do that, say you do it for two months, then you have a track record of what maybe works well for you and what doesn't. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and you should eat, you know, pretty clean carbs, like grains and stuff like that. And then proteins, I think everyone's pretty aware of, um, and then fats, you know, obviously the healthy fats, I think we all know like the avocado oil and the, um, olive oil and all that stuff. So, um, again, we just kind of more or less educate people, reset back to the baseline, develop those habits over two weeks. If it works well and you're losing weight, then it's good. <laughs> if it works well where you're gaining weight, like muscle and meeting those goals, then that's great too. Um, but if you still have some issues and you need to go see a professional, like a dietitian, at least you have a two month track record of giving them information so they can help make a decision. Cause maybe you might have an allergy that you didn't know about. So, um, nutrition is really important. Um, you have to stay like, it's really important to stay hydrated, eating well throughout the day is putting clean energy into your body. And by putting that clean energy into your body, you're having clean energy output as far as moving all day, working, so on and so forth. You also mentioned ergonomics, and I think ergonomics makes sense as a, I'm, I used to be an engineer, and I think everyone had ergonomic keyboards, ergonomic mice, to the extent everything could be ergonomic, they would make it ergonomic. For, for that high risk category of healthcare, what are some things that like you would recommend as it relates to ergonomics? Cause that's not a field I'm familiar with as it relates to like healthcare plus ergonomics being put together. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with ergonomics right now is that, um, you really kind of need to take care of yourself with exercises. There's no better quote unquote prescription out there than doing some exercises to get that range of motion back in your ankles and your hips and your spine. And at the same time, um, you know, working on the stability and balance and coordination. So um, with ergonomics, whether you're sitting at a desk, you're in the healthcare, you're moving, doing some just general exercises is like the most important thing. Um, with 
you know, if you look at the healthcare industry, there's two components, right? Some people that are admin sit behind a desk all day, right? Um, and then the other people are on the floor. Uh, so with people who are behind the desk, there is plenty of equipment out there that can help you. But at the end of the day, what you need to do is get your hips a little bit more open because when you sit on a chair and it in that hip angle is at 90 degrees, that's when you can see a lot of issues come up with hip flexors and low back pain and things like that. Um, the keyboard and mouse, not going to lie, it hasn't really changed too, too much since it's been created. Right. So, um, you just got to find a, a, an equipment that works for you. Um, and then, you know, for people that are on the floor looking at ergonomics, uh, obviously equipment can go a long way. Um, but anytime, you know, you can use wheel and pushing things around, that's really helpful. But, you know, the biggest thing is doing those exercises to get your body ready for multiple movements mm -hmm. throughout the day. So let's say a healthcare organization wants to work with BLC. Do you work in on a one-on-one -on -one basis with those who are uh, like the high risk population? Do you work with the entire group? Do you provide courses that you teach the group at large? Or do you work with the smaller groups? Like what's the typical engagement look like? Yeah. So like I said, going back to it, usually we do education or provide them some content, you know, get that seed planted. Um, and then usually we do like a little pilot program to see if our methods are a good fit for their operation. Hmm. Um, and then if that's successful, they uh, might do a uh, selected population, right? So before going full on with the entire uh, company or whatnot, it's just kind of a step-by-step -step program. Um, and usually when we do the pilot program, it's just a random sample, but then when we go to the next step and it's a, a specific population, it's more or less people that are interested in, in trying to take care of themselves that volunteered hmm. and signed up through the, through the company. Is there a, like, what is a typical before and after like case study look like for your consultancy? Like what can people like reduct X percent reduction in like, what are the metrics that you track or is it more so like informational benefits and is up on the individual to execute? Um, you know, obviously we look at uh, the cost of the injuries and then the number of injuries and what they're experiencing. I can't quite go too much into like, Makes sense. you yeah. know, the company's backgrounds and things like that. Um, if working with an individual athlete, then we get a little bit more specific and say, hey, here's a video of how you moved beforehand. Here's some tests you did. Here's your recordings. And then we test that afterwards. So it really depends but i mean with companies if it's lowering workman comp claims that's like the biggest thing right because ultimately see. they want to drive costs down and then at the same time if they can do that then they get better insurance rates as well too um but some of the the key metrics like i said are you know the costs uh the type of injuries that are happening and you want to see reductions in those and then at the same time we can um capture movement uh, quantitatively. So we can see how certain tests do within movements and see if people are moving a little bit better. And at the same time, if they're experiencing less pain. So those are kind of the, 
key metrics that we look at in making sure people are moving a little bit better, costs are going down, and they're uh, experiencing less pain. From a business perspective, is this one of those things where you work with an organization for some set duration of time, then they have the education to share internally, or do you come back once a year, or you come back once every two years, or, or do you have to like constantly find new one-off um, like jobs for your consultants? Uh, it just kind of depends on what they want. Um, you know, mm -hmm. usually three years is a, a pretty average uh, commitment, I see. but you, I would go in, it, it depends on them. I recommend coming in twice a year. Sometimes they want it one time a year. Um, and then, you know, sometimes they just say, Hey, can you come in and just provide a education piece? And I think sometimes they might use it as a little bit of motivation, but, um, yeah, typically it's, it's, it's whatever works. Whatever yeah, works. <laughs> I'm not going to say no, uh, I got no problem doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, three years is, kind of the, the average with, with two visits per year and just checking up on things. And do you primarily serve a U.S. audience, a North American audience, an international audience? Like how, how wide is your scope in terms of how far you're willing to travel to uh, do this for companies? Uh, yeah, U.S. for sure. Um, Canada, you know, so North America, that would be my uh, – target right now, but if there's opportunities to go abroad and, and maybe just share some ideas, um, then I would be all for that, you know? In a pre COVID world, do you know how much you were like flying either in terms of like number of flights or like number of miles accumulated? I'm just random question. I'm just curious about, uh, no, I, I don't know <laughs> when you have many, you just kind of lose track of it, you know? Is that, is that a cost you considered beforehand before you started a consultancy firm that you knew you were going to be away from home more than most other jobs would entail? Uh, yeah, like, yeah, you're out visiting, you're out consulting. It's, it's definitely something you got to pay attention to and mindful of, um, you know, so that's usually it's like, hey, here's your cost plus expenses. So it's an easy calculation that you don't have to uh, think about too much, but, you know, the time it takes to go different places. Um, I think that was a little bit of an eye opener. Sorry, I meant more of an emotional cost, like the fact that you'll, it's hard to build a network if you're always in the move. Like it's hard to meet up with friends if you're not in the city or you have to make new friends everywhere you go. That's the ultimate. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant like network, you know, business wise. Um, no, I've always been pretty close uh, to friends and family. So, they knew what I was doing and, um, you know, they supported me 100% and it's not like I couldn't call them or anything like that. So, um, you know, did I miss some opportunities? Yeah. Am I going to get those opportunities back in the future with them when I retire? That's, that's kind of what I'm trying I to see. achieve, you know? Okay. And the last question I want to ask you is what's something you've been learning recently that you wish you knew ahead, like a long time ago? Learning recently. Or alternatively asked, like what's something you would, you wish you knew from when you were first diving into the world of entrepreneurship? Um, hmm. I think I would have reached out 
a little bit more. So rather than like trying to figure it out on my own was a little bit tough, I would say, because I didn't, I didn't like, why wouldn't I ask someone who owns a construction company that's friends of the family? Hey, how'd you start your business? You know, um, you know, they would say, well, you just go on you know, the government website, register your business, you know, set it up as an LLC, so on and so forth. You know, that could have probably saved me so much time. And I just did all this research trying to figure out what's the best business model. Um, you know, if there's plenty of people that have done it, I wish I reached out to them more and say, hey, how could I set the roadmap? Um, okay. You know, and, and the biggest thing is setting up that business plan. But there was a lot of holes I was missing. And instead of looking into everything, I just I just wish I reached out for more advice from people who had that experience. So you just ended up Googling a bunch to get all your questions answered. Is that how it worked? Yeah. And, and one it, one resource I came across and, and it, it was uh, I think it was the SBDA.gov government website they just had the footprints right there on on how to do it and i'm like man i wish i would have known this like weeks ago or and i wouldn't have had to spend so much time doing it but um it's a learning process there's always gonna be something like that where you wish if there there's there's always an easier way to do something once you know what the easier way is but the easier way is always not not always no known. exactly and and looking back on it i'm glad i did it because um you know, it just, if, if I really wanted it and I wanted to know how to do it, I figured it out myself. And that's kind of the way an entrepreneur thinks and, and does things. I, I believe, you know, uh, do you have mentors or coaches now for your consulting firm? Uh, I talked to my uncle you look to, to like learn from, I talked okay. to my uncle, he's, um, and my sister as well. And my brother, they're all really, uh, successful. And my wife helps me out quite a bit. Um, but my uncle, I really, uh, you know, he had a high school education and he had the goal to basically be a millionaire by the time he was 50 and he made it happen. And I feel like that's pretty impressive to do just having a high school education these days. Hmm. It is. I think the world's get increasingly unfair in many, many ways, unfortunately. For better or for worse, it's a, a natural, or I guess it is what it is in terms of progression. Yeah. And, and, you know, he didn't really go, he didn't, he just didn't find his time was well used going to school and, and he worked well with his hands and he started his own company and worked really hard and, and achieved his dream, you know, and, and now he lives uh, a great life. Well, thanks for your time, Brad. I just wanted to leave you with uh, an opportunity for anyone our guest or anyone who's viewing this to follow along our guest, Brad. Uh, what's the best way for them to follow you along in your journey or to uh, follow your company's story? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn's pretty good. Um, so it's just Brad Hartman. And I have a uh, website, blchands.com. Um, and then we have our contact information there as well. So if any time anyone's interested or any companies any company is interested in the services feel free to uh call or or send us a message and uh i would look forward to working with anyone and, and having that opportunity to make the employees feel better about themselves and and live a little bit less pain-free sounds good well i hope you have a great weekend brad all right thanks dave i appreciate it and i hope you enjoy it as well